I have to start off uh, by first of all saying happy anniversary to my wife, Emily. Today, seven years ago, see, we got the picture of her. She's really pretty. So, yeah, she's, she's so cute. I love her. So, seven years ago today, uh, she and I were married in Tallahassee, Florida, uh, the home of the Seminoles, Go Knowles. I remember the months leading up to our wedding, and I think we've all experienced this if you're married, you know, those, those moments of doubt you begin to have, thinking like, you know, am I ready for this? Am, am, I'm, I'm too young, I'm too immature, I'm too whatever, fill in the blank. And so I remember just those moments of, of complete doubt when it came to the fact like, I'm about to marry this amazing woman, am I ready for this? But thankfully, by God's grace and Emily's patience, we've been married seven years. And so, you know, the first question, Stephen and Hall, you guys are newlyweds, you understand this. What's the next question? Once you're newlyweds, what's the next question you always get asked? When are you going to start trying to have children? The, the, the children question. When are you going to start trying to have children? So the next step for us, like Emily and I, pretty early on in our marriage, we decided, you know, we want to wait a while, a little bit of time before we start trying to have children. Just for the standpoint, we want to get a chance to kind of know each other as husband and wife before we really bring an extra dynamic in there. So we said maybe four or five years. Well, six months, six months into our us time, we find out that we're pregnant uh, with our, 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 young, our oldest uh, daughter, Ella. And so I remember in November of 2008, calling my mom. This is my mom, by the way. Hi, Fontaine. How you doing? Hey, mama. And from a parking lot in Walmart and just saying, mom, there, there's no way I'm ready to be. A, I've never changed a diaper before. Like there's, I'm not, I'm not like you and dad. There's no way that I can do this. I'm too young. I'm too whatever. I'm too fill in the blank. And I think we're honest. We, we've all experienced those moments in our lives, whether it be kids, whether it be getting married, whether it be something else. We have those moments of doubt, those moments that we necessarily don't feel like we are going to be able to do what, whatever this is, whatever that is. And so as I'm preparing to this today, as, so the, the continuation of what Ryan preached on in Ephesians 1 through 6, and I'm reading what Paul is saying here in verses 7 through 16. Paul is talking about, okay, now that we are in Christ, because of the unity that we have in Christ, these are the things as the body of believers that you've been gifted to do these things in order to, to move what God's intention for the church is. And so I start reading this, and I'm thinking to myself, there, there's, there's no way a guy like me, those doubts we begin to have, there's no way a guy like me can do what Paul's asking. There's no way, I, I didn't grow up in the church. I don't, my, my kids know more Bible stories than I do. You know, I'm not wired this way. Like, there's no way that I can do that. But as I was to continue to think this and continue to just kind of work through this too, because this is all somewhat new to me, a simple yet I think profound truth happened as I was reading this. Because, as you know, so Paul's talking about our spiritual gifts. You know why? And this is the big idea. You know why we have spiritual gifts? Because Jesus loves us. Because Jesus, the reason we have spiritual gift is because Jesus loves the church too much to leave us the way that we are. Ephesians 4, 7 through 16 says this. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from who the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Father, when I, when I read these words sometimes, I'll be honest, I feel overwhelmed, uh, knowing that maybe for everybody else, that, that, but for me, I know my sin. I know my inadequacies, and, and, but I'm also reminded that, that you love us and that you do this because you love us, Lord. So as we unpack this and begin to learn what, what, how we are equipped to what you have called us to and, and to building up the body of Christ, uh, let us know that we are loved and just be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So last Sunday, uh, Ryan talked about Ephesians verses 4, 1 through 6. Uh, and, and so, and, and it unpacked the, the idea of, you know, he tells the church we are all one. One Lord, one faith, and one baptism. And if you remember, he used the story in John chapter 2, uh, the wedding at Cana. Uh, and so when Jesus turns uh, the water into wine. And in other words, we've got no wine. and uh, There's nothing in us that is worthy of God's redemption, yet instead... We are united in the fact that our redemption is fully found in Christ. Christ provided the wine. Christ provides our redemption. Because of his perfect life and perfect death on the cross, we are reconciled to God. One Lord, one faith, and one baptism. And so this leads us into uh, into Ephesians 4, 7 through 16, when we begin to see, okay, so now that we know that we are one in the unity in Christ, we have one unity in Christ, now, because of that, here are the gifts that you've been given in order to build the church. In order to be the church and build the church, here are the gifts that you're given. And I can't help but think, because I kept going back and forth on this, I can't help but think, as, as Paul is penning this in Ephesians, that he's hearing the echoes of Jesus from John 17. So at John 17, it's right after the Last Supper that Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. They are now going to the vineyard, and they are now where Jesus, they're walking to where inevitably um, Judas will betray Jesus in the garden. So at that point, he begin, Jesus begins to pray to the Father, and he says this, John 17, starting verse 22. And I think once we understand this and we understand what's saying here, then we're more likely to feel and, and get the full picture in Ephesians, what he's asking for us to do. And let me just read this. The glory that you have given me, I have given them that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you and me. That they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given may be, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have been given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these that know you have sent me. I have made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love which you, which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And in essence, what Jesus is saying is, here is, I love them too much to leave them where they are. Father, the same love that you and I have, I want them to be able to experience as well too. And so at first, Ephesians for me was just like the list of things that needed to be done. But when, when in reading the context of this, it's not what Jesus wants from us. It's what Jesus wants for us. 
because it's about the love that we all begin to share. And because of that love, it's no longer a list. And isn't that something you want to be a part of? There's no scoreboard. There's no cut line. There's no stage anymore. If you were to take a poll of anyone who knew Jesus, the predominant phrase of the word, one word to describe Jesus would be love. Can the same thing be said about the church? Let's boil that down even further. Can the same thing be said about New City Church? Let's boil that down even further. G.K. Chesterton, I think the one who said, what's wrong with this world? I am. Can the same thing be said about me? When we begin to grasp that we are given gifts because we are loved by Jesus, that's both exciting and freeing. So returning to Ephesians, if we start with the understanding that we are given spiritual gifts because Jesus loves us too much to leave us where we are, on a practical level, what does that look like for us today? What does that look like for us as we live that out? And I think I see three things we're going to talk about. We are being discipled. Discipled towards the unity. Discipled to a greater knowledge of the Son. And discipled towards maturity. Uh, let's unpack this together. Uh, the gifts, first, the, first, the first point. The gifts are given to the church to build unity. Verse 7 says this, But grace was given to each one of you, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Simply put, if you are in Christ, you are not an accident and you have been gifted. Our different personalities, abilities, and experiences are gifts that God provides us so that we will bring many different talents and perspectives for building and extending Christ's church. What it also means is that no one person outside of Jesus has been given all the gifts to, to deal with all the issues that the church is going to face. Each one of us is personally gifted by Christ with varied gifts, and yet not so perfectly gifted that we are not in need of members of the body. A few weeks back, <laughs> I received a text. I, I've been involved in ministry called Youth for Christ for a long time. I actually came to know Jesus through the ministry as a middle school student, and now I'm, I'm, I work with Youth for Christ. And, and, and so before we were in Atlanta, my wife and I, the day after we got married, uh, we moved down to Vero Beach, Florida. Uh, it was wonderful. It was one point two miles, 1.8 miles away from the beach. I'm a Florida kid. I love water. You don't realize how much you miss water until it's not there anymore. So Atlanta, it's just, it's just a lot of concrete. But anyways, so I got a text, and it wasn't any words, but it was just a picture um, from one of my former students. His name's John Sheard, and it was just a picture of a cap and gown, a cap and a gown that he will wear when he walks to graduate high school. I met him when he was in sixth grade. Uh, when he graduates high school in a couple weeks from Vera Beach High. And let me just tell you, John, my story with John. So the day after Emily and I were married, we moved down to Vero Beach. Where, and my goal in ministry was to, to start a ministry presence in an area called Gifford. And Gifford is a, a very predominantly African-American community within Vero Beach. And so the first thing that I did, I started volunteering down at uh, the local Boys and Girls Club. Uh, and so I walk into, the, my first day there, I walk into the tutoring room. <laughs> and John is the first one to make eye contact with me. There's probably about 20, 25 kids in there. So John's the first one to make contact with, eye contact with me. And he looks at me, and he's sitting in front of everybody because John's just kind of a loud kid. He goes, hey, hey, are you famous or something? Because white dudes don't walk in here. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, and, and I, I reassured him only in my own mind am I famous. Um, but, you know, very quickly I realized that he and I are going to be good friends. So over the next three years, in, in a lot of ways, 
John became an adopted son for us. Uh, every weekend, without fail, we would get a call in the same voice, hey, can we hang out? Can we hang out? Every weekend. Uh, and there's like any relationship, you know, there's a lot of highs, there's a lot of lows. And so a high, John came to know Jesus in our three, three years of ministry there. Lows, you know, you know, there's moments when he frustrated with us and tested our, our patience and our trust. So there's all these moments. But I remember what that picture reminded me because what I remember when I left Vero Beach, I honestly didn't think the kid was going to graduate high school. Because in my mind, now that I'm gone, he's, he's not going to make it. How selfish and, and, and of a prideful of a statement is that for me to think that way, that somehow it's, it's because of me, John is where he's at. Jesus had him the whole time, and he was writing this story. And so what it means for the unity of the body, because once I left, there are many other people using their gifts to build into John. So that picture, so this is John. John's the one right here in the yellow shirt. Now he's all grown. He's taller than me now. He's about, and so this one in the red, that's DJ, the blonde, that's Eric. And the one in the back who weighs probably about 75 pounds, they call him Chunky. I, I don't get that, but that's Chunky. His real name is Remetrius, but no one called him Remetrius. That's Chunky. Um, so after I left, and I remember thinking, you know, John's not going to graduate high school. And so what that photo reminded me of was there are people in John's life that were, were ministering to him and doing the role of the body. And so, like, for example, Nick Carter was his youth pastor at First Baptist Church in Vero Beach. Nick continues to this day to speak truth in his life. Margaret Dickey was at First Presbyterian of Vero Beach. When John's dad had a stroke, she and her team were there walking through with that with, with John. Nate Wilkerson, who was at First Church of God, was the, the guy that made sure that John went to school every day and made sure he had his homework finished. See, it, it wasn't me. It, it, was, it was the body. It was the body using the gifts that they had been given. And it causes unity because we realize we can't do it on our own, that we are desperately in need of each other. So if, if you have the gift, some of you in here, not me, have the gift of mercy. And so, you know, and so you're able to just to walk into a situation and just know and just realize the hurts of others. And you have a deep sense of compassion for people who are going through mental or emotional distress. The struggle comes when you meet somebody like me who, you know, I, I'm not too bad at this, but like if, my, my, for example, my, this week, my daughter, she's one and a half. She skinned her knee. I'm like, right, just deal with it. You'll be okay. You're fine, baby. It's okay. I, I just don't have that sense of mercy. And so the, the frustration comes when, when we try to begin to, to work together. And so someone who has a gift of mercy sees someone who doesn't. It's almost like this idea, you know, pride comes into it and said, if, if the only people that have the, the right perspective is my perspective. So if, if you are like me, then we're okay. And, and so, but the thing is, there's also so many other needs that happen in the midst of it. So like, for example, if we had a scenario where somebody was going through something and, and, and like somebody was in the hospital, the person who understands mercy is going to be able to walk through them there. But at the same time, there are other needs as well. At home, maybe the, the lawn's getting out of control. We need a guy like Brian Pettigrew that just loves to serve, needs to go mow the lawn for him. Or also someone like Art Edwards who understands finances can walk through that with him. It's not just one person. It's all the needs working together. God has not given the whole picture to any individual. But he has given each of us a window through which we are to perceive one another's needs by using our spiritual gifts. All the needs cannot be met unless the body of Christ is thriving, practicing our gifts in unity. 
The gifts are given to the church to build unity. Second, the church receives gifts in order to more fully know the Son. Verse, 12, verse 13 says this, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. And I think it's important to look at it two different ways when it talks about knowing the Son more fully and why we have spiritual gifts. First of all, believers, those who are in Christ, are encouraged by the demonstration of spiritual gifts because they're reminded that God truly is near and is actively, diligently, carefully, and thoroughly carrying out His will. Unbelievers experience the reality of the living God and he, as He displays His power his wisdom, his love through his people. How many in here, raise your hand if you've ever read any of the Chronicles of Narnia, watched the movies? Okay, so a lot of us have seen this too, like Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Magician's Nephew, there's a whole series, I think there's eight of them. Okay, and I know this is church, but we can admit to this one as too. Who's ever watched or read Harry Potter? Like, anybody, we good? Like some of, okay, some of us has. Let me tell you something that I noticed, because I, I love both. And so, talking about this idea that as, as Christians, this is what the experience is like. Whenever Aslan walks into the picture, no matter what the white witch is doing, you know everything's going to be okay because Aslan's there, right? Or for the Harry Potter readers, every Harry Potter book kind of ended the same way, the first couple books. You know, Voldemort was there. I can't say his name. Voldemort was there. Uh, then Voldemort leaves, and Harry Potter ends up in a hospital bed. Who's the one person you wanted to walk through that door? Dumbledore. Because once Dumbledore came through that door, you knew everything was going to be okay. And the same thing is, happens when believers and Christians use their gifts for the body. I know the son more fully because a guy's like Pop Brian Pettigrew. When he texted me, my daughter's in the hospital just checking on me. I, the, my missional community knows the son more fully because Melissa Millage, even though she wasn't going to be there, came and served us food. The church New City Church knows the sun more fully because guys like Ryan Johnson, our pastor, loves and preaches the word every week. When Christians, when believers use their gifts, we are encouraged. We need each other because of the unity that we have. We are built up and we begin to know the sun more fully. And the second would be sent about unbelievers. As much as our gifts are, are to make the sun known to believers, the same is true for unbelievers. Jesus' entire adult life was characterized by a deep concern for the spiritual condition of the non-believer. His compassionate purpose for the well-being was deep-rooted, and he showed this concern specifically in the way that he met them where they lived, fed them, taught them, and healed them. It isn't our prayer as parents that there is never a day that our, our children don't know and love the name of Jesus. But the truth is, that's not everybody's story. That wasn't my story. You know, I, I didn't grow up in a church, and so... For me, it, it took somebody speaking into my life. And so once believers start speaking and living the, the gifts, you know what it comes into? Instead of it's, it's not us and them, it's not us believers and them non-believers. What it is is one beggar telling another beggar where the food is. Because then when that's the case, I think of someone like, you know, Kevin Taylor is the guy in my life. In the midst, in seventh grade, my parents got divorced and it wrecked me. In the middle of my mess that Kevin walked into my life, Kevin Taylor walked into my life, and he walked, entered the mess, and because of that, I now know Jesus. The church receives the gifts in order to more fully know the Son. Third, 
Gifts are given to the church to deepen maturity. And verse 15 says this, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. A sign of maturity is to be able to speak the truth in love. And so maybe I'm just, <laughs> maybe it's a, a South thing. I'm not sure too, but like I, I really have this idea what speaking truth in love is. For the most of my Christian life, I've had this one idea what it means. Speaking the truth in love is not finishing a sentence with all due respect. Because mentally for me, if I say with all due respect, anything I say is fair game. Or because we live in the South, bless his heart, bless her heart, whatever. We know that comes true. And at best... At best, that's, that's truth without love, at best. But Tim Keller puts it this way. Love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way we cannot really hear. Remember, Ephesians 4 is all about the unity of the body of Christ. If we have blind spots... We need other believers to, to walk into that and say, allow us to know where we have perceived and believed lies that aren't there. And if we feel led to speak the truth in, into someone's life, we must first check our motives. If it comes from a place of selfishness or arrogance, then we're missing the point. It's because of my love for you and Jesus' love for you that we are compelled to speak the truth and love into someone's life. Truth without love is like doing surgery with a hammer. Love without truth, it's a diet of Swiss cake rolls. They're really sweet, but they're going to rot your teeth out. The best illustration, so I was trying to figure out, like, what's the best illustration of, of doing, what's the truth in love? Look at that table. <laughs> is there a better illustration of what truth and love is in that, that marriage than that table right there? Because the truth is that we, because of our sin, because of our disobedience, we should be disconnected eternally from the Father. But because of what that wine and that bread represents, we experience the grace and love found in Jesus. That is truth and love. And my pastor in Vero Beach, his name was Mike Malone, he would tell a story about a Scottish pastor, um, and I'm not even trying to do the accent, uh, Scottish pastor, and, and there was a woman in his congregation, and, and she desperately loved Jesus, and she knew, she knew Jesus personally. It was, it, was, it was very much a part of who she was. But every time that the table came and the, it was offered the bread and the wine, she wouldn't take it because she never felt worthy enough of the table. So week after week, communion came and she didn't take it. Until one time, the, and the pastor knew what was happening because he knew this woman personally. What happened at the end, it was one time when the table was offered, he came to this woman and just said with all emphasis, take it, it's for sinners too. This is truth and love. The gifts are given to the church for the building of the body through discipleship. Disciple towards unity, to greater knowledge of the Son, and to deeper maturity. And just imagine if that happened here with us at New City Church? You know, what, what could that look like for us to, to really grasp on that we have all been given gifts because we are needed by the body in order so that others and so we that can see Jesus more fully. 
And I feel like if we start doing that, we'll almost in some sense get a glimpse of what heaven's going to look like. If we really grasp this on, and not even from New City, but start with me. Like, what can Mike do? What can, what, start with me. So here's what I'm asking as I wrap up. Here's what I'm asking. Two, well, three things. First of all, when you leave here, I think the best way to kind of know where you're gifted, in, and assessments are great. I mean, I love Right Path. I love all the assessments. I'm an assessments nerd. But the best way to find out where you're gifted, go talk to somebody that you know that and that loves you. So on the car ride home, with, whether it be a spouse, uh, whether it be a parent, whether it be someone that, a friend that knows you really well, just ask them the question, like, where has God gifted me? And just listen. Secondly, and maybe even first, you know, spend your time on your knees asking Jesus, like, where are the relationships you want me to press into, God? Where, where, where can I serve at my church? Where can I be a part of, of your, the body? Where do you see me doing it? And, and lastly, and most importantly, the best way to, to grow spiritually mature is to do it. So whatever the Lord has called you to, whatever someone has said, find a place to do it and, and to be active and to be present. I'm excited to be on this journey with you guys, and just thank you. Let's pray. Father, it, it is an encouraging thing to know that it's not up to us, that the weight of the, of the church doesn't fall on our shoulders, but, but we as a collective body, gifted by Christ, are made whole and made perfect in the fact that what we are called to do, Lord. So as, as we leave today, allow us just to kind of know what, what you have called us to uh, and where we can begin to, to love and serve this church, the church, and the body, Lord. Thank you for this time. Pro, in Jesus' name, amen.